You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 16, covering Amok Time and Who Mourns for Adonais. All right, here we are. We're back. Did you miss us? We I missed you so much. God, I missed us uh, and, and them to the lesser extent. Um, no. Found myself watching TV and not being able to be sarcastic about it. No, we were just uh, we were just enjoying ourselves, and uh, we can't have that. No, it's wrong. Damn it, um, it's wrong. I, before we before we take off here, uh, one quick thing: uh, if you missed it, and uh, hopefully you didn't, uh, but uh, we did a uh, summary of season one in video form. Yes, uh, it's on it was the, great. Yeah, it was. We were really happy with how it turned out. Um, mm-hmm. It's on postatomichorror.com. It's on algar.com. It's on YouTube. Uh, so if you're interested in seeing everything we thought of the preceding season of Star Trek, the original series, uh, in about 10 minutes, uh, there you go. Go there and do that. And there are puppets. Yes. Wonderful puppets. I, I was quite pleased. Yes. Uh, all right. So uh, on to uh, the best season of the original series that ever there was season two yes i uh i got the i got the best one this week you won the you won the coin toss i got the best one maybe this series i am really excited about this particular one oh. uh so let's get to it the episode in question is a mock time uh you may know this episode better by its unofficial title dun, 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 yes friends mr spock is experiencing ponfar the vulcan equivalent of going into heat and the only thing that can save him is a trip back to Vulcan for little the old pointy-eared mambo. God, I'm sorry. I promise never to say that again. So in true Spock fashion, he's trying to keep this horrible indignity to himself, but he lets clues slip. Just little things like hurling the bowl of purple soup that Nurse Chapel made for him and illegally redirecting the ship's course. You know, stuff only friends would pick up on. Finally, Bones works out what's going on, biologically speaking, and tries to be a gentleman about it all, but Kirk is having none of that. He pokes and prods Spock until he finally spills the truth must return home to Vulcan for his Vulcan-arranged Indian marriage. He invites his two best friends along, and while we know who that is, it's still great to hear him admit it to Kirk and Bones. Yes, my favorite parts of the show about the spaceship that explores new planets and shoots aliens with laser guns involve dudes telling each other that they're friends. Don't you judge me. So the three of them beam down to the most amazing CG enhancement on these restored episodes and into the arena, where Spock meets T'Pring, his intended, as well as some weenie that's following her around, and, oh yeah, T'Pau, the high priestess of Vulcan who speaks with the creepiest accent this side of Bella Lugosi. T'Pring demands that Spock fight in gladiatorial combat to win her hand, and she appoints Kirk as her champion. Kirk, trying his best to be diplomatic, reluctantly agrees. The fight begins, and suddenly, as an afterthought, T'Pau mentions that, oh right, this fight is to the death. Yeah, I can see how this wasn't really a relevant fact before he made his decision. Anyway, fighting happens. I'm glossing over this part, but rest assured, it completely deserves its reputation as one of the coolest one-on-one fights in Star Trek. Spock apparently kills Kirk, T'Pring reveals that it was all an elaborate trick for her to end up with the weenie, and Bones returns to the Enterprise with Kirk's body. Spock settles his affairs and follows behind, only to discover that, wait for it, Bones helped Kirk cheat by injecting him with fake-out juice. So everybody's happy. Except us, because oh yeah, this is the episode where Chekhov joins the crew. God damn it. (sighs) But apart from that... (laughs) Yeah, uh, this is a great episode with... A small appearance by one 
Chekhov. He, do, he doesn't do anything objectionable in this particular episode. It's just more of a, oh, here we go. Well, I mean, he is objectionable, but he is only objectionable for a small amount of the time. Well, he says Wulkin a couple of times. Well, and then he does that whole, like, oh, I'm getting space sicknesses. Well, yeah, and, and you know, the comedy's not bad. Like, they go, they're going to Altair, and then they're going to Vulcan, and then they're going back to Altair. And, yeah, he's uh, he's kind of making snide comments to Sulu, who's just like, oh, don't worry about it. These guys do this all the time. Look, you're new. You don't understand how we do things. <laughs> Um, but really, I mean, apart from that, and again, maybe 30 seconds of the episode, this seriously, like quintessential Star Trek top five, maybe my favorite one ever. Oh God, it's so good. I can't, I can't think of anything bad to say about it. It's just so amazing. Like mm-hmm. good, good character stuff, good sci-fi stuff, backstory on one of the, the main races. Yep. We go to Vulcan for the first and only time in the series. Just yep. so much great stuff. And how good is that CGI on the new Vulcan? Oh, oh man, shit! Yeah, I, I had to make sure to, to point that out. There's a there's a bit where, in the original, they beam down and they they just walk across the uh, to the set they have set up, and the set's not bad. Like the original standing set from the '60s is not bad at all. Mm-hmm. Where they conduct most of the the fight and the the wedding and all that kind of stuff. But um, prior to that, there's about I guess 15, 20 seconds uh, that the effects guys managed to uh, to to turn into this awesome wide shot from like from like the atmosphere yeah of them walking across this arch so you can see the city in the background and the city was apparently modeled after the vulcan city that spock lived in in the uh, animated series uh there's a temple in the background that was in i think star trek 3 like, like they really everything you see there fits in with the vulcan you see later on it's it's so great to see that the guys who are doing the uh like the digital remasters really you know really care that much yeah, and you know, everyone hears digital remasters and they think, oh, this is gonna be like Star Wars. They're gonna you know, they're they're gonna add a bunch of goofy shit and they're gonna change the whole meaning of everything. And no. Everything that they've added looks exactly the way it should have, or in this case, enhances it and, and yeah. adds to the, the tapestry of Star Trek. Awesome. Yeah, see you can improve it without putting a dancing jaw in the background. Right. And that's a whole other issue for a whole other discussion. I, I have mixed feelings about that, but but rest assured, you know they don't change the intent. No, at all. This isn't this isn't uh, historical revisionism. This isn't the uh, oh no, we really meant to do this. They're yeah. they're just making it a little better and a little shinier and uh, yeah, boy, and it's awesome. Yeah, oh. it it really is. Um, the the nice nice sort of subtle tragedy of of Chapel. Um, oh yeah, pining for for Spock and for the fjords. <laughs> She wouldn't boom if you put fourteen thousand <laughs> gallons of purple soup in her. <laughs> no, that was it was sad and it was fairly subtle. She's not like, oh, Spock. She's really trying to take care of him. And there's there there is <laughs> this that is how she differs from Yeoman Rand. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there's definitely a line, you know, where she's a friend and she's a caretaker. Mm-hmm. She's a nurse, mm-hmm. so she wants to take care of him. She's worried about him, but she crosses the line a little because there, there is a little more to it. But nothing of what she's doing is inappropriate or, or, you know, beyond what she should be doing in her role, really. Yeah. So that's nice. It's not like she's just a, a fawning little girl. Plus, we know her to be capable and, and intelligent and, and headstrong when she needs to be. So, uh, yeah, that makes this okay. And then Bones is just a jerk right to her. <laughs> he is. But, uh, but I was impressed that Bones was not a jerk to Spock. Yeah, that was nice. Once he figures out, because, I mean, he usually takes every opportunity he can. So, yeah, a little discomfort there, huh? 
<laughs> well, how's that uh, uh, superior Vulcan physiology now? Where's your green-blooded uh, Vulcan stoicism now, Spock? Yeah. I need to be fixed, Cap- er, Doctor. Ah, neutered. Very well. Pulls out a giant uh, pair of scissors. Uh, let's get do this. <laughs> no, he was, like, once he kind of figured out what was going on, he suddenly switched into, like, compassionate doctor mode. And, yeah. And he's like, Jim, listen, there's there's something going on, and Spock's, uh, you know, Spock's in a lot of pain. It was it was nice. Or not pain, mm-hmm. but, you know, like, discomfort. Like the... Pain. <laughs> Um, I like that right off the bat, like, like in the, what is it? The stinger, they call it right before the the credits, like the first yeah. minute or whatever. I like that the show expects you to be, to keep up. It's not like they, it feels like they're doing less sort of a standalone thing now mm-hmm. and more of a, we expect you to know who Spock is and how he normally acts here. He's acting out of character. We, you know, like, yeah, there, there's not a lot of insulting the audience's attention, which I like. Yeah. They just assume that you you get it at this point. Yeah, and they're and they're starting to sort of realize that they're building something bigger. Mm-hmm. They mention the Klingon Empire. They they, they yep. show us Vulcan and, and give us a hint of what their society's like. And uh, they're sort of like starting the universe building, right? And it, as opposed to just throwing a bunch of crap at the wall and seeing what sticks. I, and uh, you know, from week to week, it's fine to have a fun little standalone space adventure. Like, oh, well, I mean, that, that's not what I mean. Like, no, you know, I'm I'm saying those there's there's, there's two different ways to go. There's like. Yeah, you get a great episode like Devil in the Dark, which was great, but really you could put in season one or season three or whatever. Oh, yeah. But they're starting to realize we can do that. We could write Mm -hmm. good drama and good sci-fi, but we can also, you know, start putting these things together into a broader thing. And uh, that's where it goes from good to great for me. Yes. Um, Of course, this episode uh, has uh, the introduction of the Funky Spock bass theme. Yep, which I'm which I'm pleased with, and we'll we'll uh, turn up repeatedly. And the uh, and the opera singer in the opening credits. Oh, that's right. The uh, the opening credits now have uh, yeah, the the thing that we always assumed was there from day one. This chick just wailing her ass off. <laughs> and uh, and the welcome edition of uh, Anne DeForest Kelly as Doctor McCoy. Yes, like he, it's not just Shatner and Nimoy. They figured out. Uh, and Shatner desperately trying to figure out how to get Nimoy back into the end credits. <laughs> Well, just just stick him after the Baylock puppet. That's fine. <laughs> um, Kirk was really kind of a jerk. He's like, Spock, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Like, poke, poke, poke. Spock's clearly trying to, to keep his composure, keep his dignity. And mm-hmm. uh, it felt kind of bad for him. I mean, yeah, you know, he was uh, he was commandeering the ship and uh, countermanding the captain's orders and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, still. His... I mean, Kirk is not entirely wrong in what he's doing. But no, he but as his could friend, do it could be... a lot better. Yeah, as his friend, he could be a little more compassionate. We don't really talk about it with others, Jim. Well, you're going to talk about it with me, Jim. <laughs> yeah, um, and then when we get to the planet, um, like I said, the the actual standing set from the '60s is not bad at all. The uh, mm-hmm. all things oh, considered, man. the uh, and it's this. You've seen this in a million things, even if you've never watched a minute of Star Trek. It's been referenced in everything. This is one of those episodes that just everyone knows. But um, it's like a uh, a desert planet with uh, sort of a red tinge to it and this circle of like uh, Stonehenge type uh, stones. And yep. uh, they got these great uh, weapons. What are those things? Are they, do they make that up for this or is that a real thing? I don't know. They must have a name, but like... It's got like a heavy like weight on one the, end. You're uh, talking about the like the American Gladiator thing with the knife on it, right? right? Well, no, it's got a it's got like an axe on one end. Yeah, and then on the other end, it's got like this heavy weight. Yeah, an American Gladiator thing. I never watched American Gladiator. 
Oh, okay. It's a big thing that you whack a guy with. Ah. And then you knock him off of his pedestal thing. Well, maybe the, maybe they stole that from, from this. I don't know. I guess. <laughs> um, I, I liked I, this. This is one of those things where we can kind of look back in a Marvel no prize kind of way and say, oh, they mm-hmm. meant to do that. But it's really more of a, a happy accident. The, the Vulcan guards were wearing the same uh, goofy uh, headgear, the little helmets that the Romulan guards were. Oh, yeah, that was really cool. And we can go back and retcon and say, oh, well, that's because the Vulcans and the Romulans are related. And, uh, no, it's probably because they don't have much money. Look, these helmets are these helmets are expensive, and we've already got some. Spray paint them silver and uh, use them again. How few people can we give ear? Can we give Vulcan ears in this? Yeah, these cover up the ears. <laughs> See, overall, like I said, I cannot say enough good things about it. It's good. good no, it is stuff. a great friggin' episode. And and the twist. Okay, we've seen that a lot in Star Trek, but not yet. Like it's another one mm-hmm. of those times where I hate calling them out for things that they haven't run into the ground yet. Mm-hmm. Because I can remember a handful of next gen episodes where. Someone was injected, even outside of Star Trek, injected with something that makes them appear to be dead, and then they wake up yep. later, and it's like, look at me, I'm fine. You can just buy it anywhere in the, in, uh, in the Federation. I, I guess. I don't know. Give me, a, give me a couple things of that stuff that makes you dead for, like, a couple hours. You get it at joke shops, apparently. <laughs> it's like fake, some fake vomit, some dog poo, and, uh, yeah. This is going to be the best April Fool's ever. <laughs> Well, you know, April Fool's is pretty near Easter, maybe. No, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anything else to say about this? Are you ready to move on to uh, um, yours? Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. I found out that in Germany, mm-hmm. uh, in an effort to sidestep all of the sex stuff in this one, they just said that Spock had space madness. Oh, right. I heard about that. And the ent- the entire scene on Vulcan was a hallucination. Right. So in, in German Star Trek continuity, they've never been to Vulcan before. No, because ever. it was all a fever dream. Yep. <laughs> wow. You never, I mean, even, well, I don't know. In the 60s, maybe they were, I just, I can't imagine Germany being sexually repressed. Yeah. I. That seems strange to my 21st century years, but uh, maybe in 1968, that was a, that was a thing. I don't know. I guess it's just like, wait a minute. You're saying that this Spock guy is just horny? <laughs> well, no, it's more than that. It's just, no, this is all a fever dream. He has space madness. <laughs> I kind of want to ocean madness. <laughs> I kind of want to see too much candy. I want to see, um, and this is this extends beyond that because I wouldn't understand what they were saying anyway. But I, I kind of want to see an episode dubbed into German or Spanish <laughs> or you know, I enjoy that. I, I particularly someone who's so over the top like like Shatner tends to get later on. Um, mm. I'd love to see how they dub that into other languages. Oh yeah, that's uh, one, one time. Uh, get off the topic real quick here. I, I had. Um, I had a satellite dish, and it had a, a button for uh, SAP, the Spanish mm-hmm. audio something, I think. Um, it, secondary audio something. It switches mm-hmm. it to Spanish. And I watched uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure in Spanish, and it was the greatest <laughs> thing I have seen in a really long time. Ah, my bicicleta! It was hilarious. <laughs> I would love to see some Star Trek like that, like the Baylock puppet uh, speaking, you know, French or something. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> Alright, Any, anything else? Are we ready to... Uh... Uh, oh, and uh, we also get to briefly see uh, uh, Chekhov's ridiculous wig, which they made him wear until his Davy Jones haircut grew in. Oh, right, because for some reason bringing in a Russian... Like, I understand bringing in a Russian, because this was the yeah. height of the Cold War, and the Russians had Sputnik, and we're like, you know what? Russians made contributions to the space race. We should acknowledge that. That's cool. Yeah. And that's that's classy in the 60s. But, but then they like, also, also decided need... to make him a monkey. 
Yeah, we also need someone from the monkeys because that's popular right now. Not not a mon- not a simian, but uh, a member of the uh, the Beatles knockoff comedy group, the monkeys. No, I mean that's a little bit lost in space. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so what you're saying? Um, he hadn't grown the hair out yet. They had it. They still had a wig on him. No, they made him wear this wig, oh. which is listen. It doesn't excuse why he looks like a douche, but it does explain it. But he acts like a douche also, which we will see yeah. more in your episode. Oh yeah, who mourns for? Adonais. Well, let's 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 take a quick side trip here. It may be Adonis. Our voice guy said Adonais, and looking at the way they spelled it, I see why he did that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make fun of him, but then I'm like, no, you know, that looks like Adonais to me. Your story checks out this time. <laughs> that makes me want to just, you know, Adonais, Adonais, Adonais. Anyway, on to on to yours. All right, so the Enterprise is investigating some planet or other when a giant hand, possibly belonging to Alexander Luther, grabs the ship. Some dude with a fancy crown appears on the screen, revealing himself to be Apollo, the uh, the Greek god, not the failed Battlestar commander and part-time lawyer. Apollo invites Kirk down to the planet along with some crewmen, but not Spock. It appears the Enterprise has finally met the one being in the galaxy who does not like Spock's ears. Kirk, Bones, Scotty, Lieutenant Lady Scotty Likes, and uh, Chekhov arrive on the planet, and Apollo proclaims that they'd better start worshipping him. Then he makes himself giant, which is, which is of course, something only gods can do. He cuts the crew off from the Enterprise and also mooshes up some phasers. Then he dresses up Lieutenant, Sco- Lieutenant Lady Scotty Likes in a single scarf, and they wander off. The Lieutenant apparently takes her cues from McGivers, and up to... Ugh. The, appara- the Lieutenant apparently takes her cues from McGivers and spends the rest of the episode fawning over him. Up on the Enterprise, Spock is in charge, and Uhura is making herself useful, which is a nice change. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Lady Scotty Likes has fallen in love with Apollo's chest and thinks staying and worshipping Apollo is a grand old idea. Kirk disagrees, as he does, and hatches a plan to get Apollo to drain his power by getting him angry. They do this Nelson Munt style. They do this by laughing at him Nelson Munt style. Unfortunately, Lieutenant Lady Scotty Likes talks him out of it. Kirk manages to convince her to dump Apollo so that they can get him angry and escape. And back on the Enterprise, Uhura's managed to get in contact with the landing party, and Spock's figured out that Apollo's temple is the source of his power. So, while Lieutenant Lady Scotty Likes pisses him off, the Enterprise blows the shit out of the temple, destroying it and Apollo. Kirk and McCoy briefly feel bad about this. Yeah, very briefly. Mm-hmm. It's one of those epilogue discussions, like, uh, should we really have done that? Oh, well, off we go. <laughs> Bones, I feel bad about the fact that we had to destroy what was possibly one of Earth's ancient gods. Jim, I agree. Oh well, let's go home. <laughs> yeah, um, not not the best one. Not bad. Not. But, uh, yeah, not bad. Not great. It, it's one of those, and and it seems like the show has a lot of these, where there's there's a cool concept there. I actually, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, this idea is another one that's used over and over again. But for now, it's it's fairly new. Um, mm-hmm. that that an advanced civilization is the same as a god. That's kind of cool. Um, but there. There's like 20 minutes of story there that they stretch out to 50 minutes. There's a lot of going back and forth. Yeah. And a lot of just two or three commercial breaks and with the same cliffhanger. And it, yep. it gets a little tiresome after a while. Scotty getting zapped. Yeah. Poor bastard. He gets zapped by Apollo like eight times. I think that must be where the Welshie joke came from in that Futurama episode. <laughs> because he did get zapped a lot. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, the, the, the main thing to bring up here, that, that uh, and again, we didn't intend to do this when we set out to do this podcast, but it, the, one, of the, one of the sort of uh, secondary missions we seem to have is uh, Feminist Patrol. Yep. Looking out for the ladies. Uh, oh, boy. Because they ain't going to do it. 
No. And uh, yeah, Lieutenant, as you call him, her Lieutenant Lady Scotty likes. I don't even I, remember her actual name. At I don't point. remember her actual name. No, they called her by her first name more than anything. I didn't, Carol or something like that. I don't yeah. know. It doesn't matter. She's that forgettable, folks. We could look her up, but we don't want to. No. Um, but yeah, she just... At the beginning, there's this conversation between Kirk and... Uh, was it Bones? No, it was Kirk, Bones, and Scotty, I think. Yeah. Because, yeah, they're talking about how Scotty's fawning over her. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, she's not going to be here forever. She's only in the service until she finds a man, and then she's going to leave. Yep. Wow. That's what women, that's, this is why there's no room in Starfleet for, or in your world of starship captains for women. Yeah. Apparently Starfleet fires them after they beca- after they get married. No, no. I think the implication is that women are completely fulfilled in their lives once they have a husband and don't need a career anymore. Uh-huh. That a career is what they do in the meantime until they can find a good man. Yeah. Which, you know, look, we're, we're dudes, and we're looking at the chicks in the short skirts. Don't get us wrong, but th- no. this is wrong. Come on. Yeah. They're equal human beings. This is the enlightened future. What the fuck? Now, on the other hand, though, it was really nice seeing Uhura get some work done. Well, yeah, and that's one of those things that we've pointed out before where it seems like, and it seems deliberate because it keeps happening. It's not just like one yeah. writer did this. Whenever they leave Spock in charge, everyone is a little more efficient. They're a little more mm-hmm. into their jobs and he trusts them more. He's not like hovering over them. Is it done yet? Are you, you could be doing this better. Did you push that button? Mm-hmm. Like, he's just like, I, I have the total confidence that you are the best person to do this job. Yeah. There's this great bit where her has actually crawled into one of the computers to fix it. Yeah. She's not just operating down. it. She knows, she knows how to fix it too. Like that's, yeah. that's a whole level of, of technical know-how that I didn't even realize she had. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It is. But it's just Spock sort of leans down. How's it going? I'm working on it. Okay. Could, you let me know when you're done. He's like, could you be working faster? Trust me, I'm working as fast as I can. Yeah, I, I'm sure you are. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Good work. Yep. Like, he's still presenting the urgency like a commander should. Yeah. Like, come on, we need it now. But he's not being a dick about it. He's like, well. Did, did you try this? That's the first thing I tried. Well, good. And it didn't work then. Well, have you tried doing it harder? <laughs> You're, you're the expert, I concede to your knowledge. Like, that's, yeah. you know, especially from a character like Spock, who's often presented as, you know, an arrogant know-it-all. Yeah. It's nice to see, nope, you know what? She's the communications officer. I will leave her to all things communications. Yeah. And he does the same to Sulu in this one and in other ones where, like, yep. you know what? If you could be navigating better, you you would be. So uh, <laughs> I'll just leave it to you. I'm navigating as hard as I can, Commander. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's it must be deliberate because it keeps happening with different writers. Mm-hmm. I think the, the sort of subtle undertone there is that he's, he's kind of better with people. He might not be a better overall commander. Yeah. Because, I mean, Kirk does make the hard decisions that, that no one else can and so on and so on. Yes. But he's a better people person, which is kind of ironic Weird, given that he's a, but... yeah, a Vulcan and all. Yeah. So there's also the giant hand. Yep. Um, Which plays I'm crushing I your head with the, the Enterprise. <laughs> And I sort of love the reaction to this. Just, is that a big hand? You guys are seeing uh, this, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, Captain, I appear to be tripping balls. <laughs> I, I looked at the uh, the original version, and I looked at this, and uh, it, it, they did improve it. Again, it's another one of those things where they stayed true to the spirit of it. Yeah. But it was a little more sort of ethereal and believable. Like, it's still a stupid giant hand. It's not believable. Yeah. Look, there, there's no way they're going to make that look, you know good but they can make it look better yeah it looks like a it looks like something that doesn't quite belong there which instead of someone that's just holding the enterprise model and they shot him up to the wrist (laughs) 
Bill, can you get in there and just put your hands on the model for us, please? Oh, and speaking of that, when they're when they're down on the planet, um, I, they they actually did a pretty good job of of simulating being on location mm. with the uh, with wherever the hell Apollo was supposed to be, planet yeah. planet Bullocks, as you pointed out. Yes. Um, but there's a there's like there's a lake and there's like blue sky and they have some good sound effects and it actually seems like they might be on location except the stagehands are trying to simulate there being wind so there's a bunch of trees in the background and one of them is shaking and none of the other ones are <laughs> shake harder boy <laughs> like i don't know maybe this, this is our big break maybe everyone else was on a break or something but uh that was uh it was like you almost you almost convinced me and that one thing, just because you didn't try hard enough, that's all. It wasn't the budget. It has nothing to do with that. It's just you weren't trying hard enough. You should have tied just, strings to them or something. I just love the the image of that one tree just frantically shaking <laughs> back and forth. And of course, some you know some nerd somewhere is oh no no that's Apollo's powers. Yes, he was. See, the power it wasn't actually in the temple. It was in that tree. <laughs> you could tell because it was fa- fairly vibrating with power. Obviously. And uh, at one point, I'm, I'm watching this on my computer, and I'm like, Matt, is that boy monitor, or does Apollo's hair have a blue tinge to it? No, he's definitely got the Superman in the 80s thing going like, on. Like Veronica from uh, from Archie and, and yep. a handful of other classic comic characters before they figured out how ink worked. Yep. Um, yeah, he looked like a blue tinge. Very strange. <laughs> Maybe I will, Lois. Maybe I will. There's a, there's a thing Kirk does in this. He's done it a handful of times already. He'll do it way more in, in coming episodes. Where he's figured out what's going on. He's the only one that's figured out what's going on. And he, like, lords it over everyone. Mm-hmm. Bones, I know what happened. This guy is an advanced alien, and he came to Earth. Yes. Oh, Look, my we, God. We, we get it, okay? No, but you don't understand. There's actually an... He's I, an advanced alien who would appear to... Pre- yes, thank you, Jim. I get it. We've all read Chariots Do of you? the Gods. We know. But there's a bit coming up, and I hate to, I hate to step on our own jokes for next week. But there's a bit in uh, Mirror Mirror, which is mm. coming up next week, where he's doing that sort of Adam West Batman, uh, you know, trying to figure out the riddlers, like crazy oh, leaps yeah. of logic, and he's standing there trying to figure out what's going on in the parallel universe, and he's something parallel, parallel universe. That's it. Someone from Russia is going to slip on a banana peel and break <laughs> her neck, and he's it, that seems to be the way he figures out, like. I think the writers, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's Shatner's ego. Maybe it's lazy writing. Mm-hmm. But the writers should give the team there, the experts, some of those lines to figure out what's going yeah. on instead of always having Kirk be the one. Who... Well, I mean, this is flat out what Shatner did. I've heard that, you know, but I don't, I don't know it for sure. Like, I there's so many things I know being a Star Trek fan for twenty, thirty years that that I know, quote unquote, mm-hmm. but I haven't seen proof of it, and I don't want to just assume that that's true. You're probably right. So. So the biographies of the other cast members? Well, if you've read the book or if you've seen a DVD feature or something, then I'll believe it. Okay. But if it's just something we've heard as fans over the years, oh, well, yeah, Shatner was a dick. I, I just – I need something to, to back that up. If if Takei says, oh, no, he was a dick, you know, then I'll, then I'll buy it. He was a douchebag. But, I mean, <laughs> through, through the course of doing these reviews, I've tried really hard not to fall back on what we all think we know because sometimes that stuff ends up not being true. All right, well, I mean, uh, that's what I had heard from Nimoy, but I don't if, remember sort of specifically where. Well, that's what I'm saying. If you've read an interview from Nimoy where he said that, uh-huh. then I buy it. That, yeah. That's totally admissible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's, there's – and I can't think of a particular example at the moment. But there's a lot of things over the years that uh, – I mean, this show has collected a lot of urban legends and a lot of, you know, 
things everyone knows about Star Trek, and, and it might not yeah, necessarily the, be true. The dead midget that hung himself on that tree that was waving back and forth. <laughs> there you go. Um, let's see what else. Uh, there's a... yeah, that's why they were shaking. They were trying to dislodge him. <laughs> there's a one point where uh, Kirk calls Scotty a, a stiff-necked thistlehead. <laughs> that's uh, that's the sign of a Listen, slow episode dude, when I need to point that out. Yeah, let's not take let's not say things we can't take back here, uh, Jim. <laughs> um, oh, and then there's a bit there's a bit where Matt and I both got really excited because Kirk's given this speech about how uh, mm. we don't need gods on Earth anymore. Like we're both like, yes, team atheist. And then he says, <laughs> we only have one god now. Oh, <laughs> well, except for the main one, Aww. you know, the real god. And I was really hoping we could dig up on like Memory Alpha or something where. They had to change the line because the network told them to, but I, I no. see no evidence of that, which is no. sad. They they do point out that Scotty's an atheist. True, yeah, Scotty has no room for gods or something like that. No, but, uh, but it was it was a nice almost like yeah, we we've thrown off superstition in the future. Well, all right, there's still you know, and look, yeah. we're not trying to put down anyone's beliefs, you know that. But uh, mm. this is <laughs> it's always nice to see something you like uh, reflect your beliefs. That's all. Yes. Um. There's a bit where Apollo's talking about uh, you will be returned to the simple ways of life You'll, uh, to uh, work the fields and tend the sheep and blah, blah, blah. And uh, Kirk says, well, where are you going to get all this stuff? Oh, well, well, we'll start by dismantling your ship. So It's made of sheep, yeah, right? <laughs> you're going to dismantle the ship into its component sheep. <laughs> you're not really clear on how our technology works, are you? Yes, you ride a big ship made of sheep and grass, right? <laughs> We're going to go, is the thing. I got all my information from Scotty, and in his accent, ship and sheep sound identical. So. <laughs> I'm also interested in uh, dissembling your so-called wessels. Oh. Yeah, now here's really where Chekhov starts getting Chekhov-y. Uh, oh, like, you you might think we're, we're bitching unduly, but uh, this is where it starts. They give him... Yeah. They tend to give him the clumsy comic relief lines because they think... It's needed, and really, that's what Bones is for. And they're not clumsy in his hands because he's, no. you know, he's charming. And it's like, yeah, he's he's the one making the snide comments. Yeah, not this. But when it's from Chekhov, it's just like oh, you're trying too hard. Yeah, that's really it. It's it's trying too hard, and it sucks because we're at a point where the show's really starting to get great. Yeah, and it really hits, you know, what everyone remembers Star Trek being. But uh, unfortunately, you know, his stupid accent, his stupid Ugh. hair, and his stupid face. Mm -hmm. <sighs> we need someone on Star Trek who can be silly. We need silly characters. No, we, we really don't. Really, really don't. <laughs> Walter Koenig is the Jar Jar Binks of, uh, no. of Star Trek. All right. And anything <laughs> else on this one? Are you ready to, uh, to push? Uh, I think that's it for this one. Not a whole lot happened. All right. I, I think we should, uh, in the spirit of what we were just discussing, uh, for our quote of the episode, uh, go with yours first. All right. Uh, mine is an example of the hated Chekhov. Are you all right, Captain? Where's Apollo? He disappeared again, like the cat in that Russian story. Don't you mean the English story and the Cheshire cat? Cheshire? No, sir. Minsk, perhaps. All right, but... all right, all right. Always trying to shoehorn Russian things in. Yeah. What, what, what sort of personality does our new character Chekhov have? Well, he's Russian, and he thinks everything else is Russian. <laughs> That's not great, but we're going to go with it. The thing is, I, that could be funny if they'd handled it a little less clumsily. Like, I know yeah. people from, there are certain people from certain places who are very proud of where they're from. Texas, for instance, New York City. Mm -hmm. People who think everything that they love comes from there. There's certain English people like that, too. 
like mm-hmm. England invented everything, and you know, which can be funny, but um, mm-hmm. they it's not in his case. It's just not. yeah, it just and it just keeps happening. Yeah, and uh, deep into the movies, and it uh, yeah into into six into his uh, mm-hmm. penultimate appearance. Um, the only thing. <laughs> And even into seven, when Kirk dies, and he goes, "Yeah, he died just like a uh, Russian Russian Rasputin, stabbed, flushed out of airlock." <laughs> All right. Um, my quote of the episode um, is: uh, Spock comes back to the Enterprise, thinks uh, Kirk is dead, and uh, discovers that he isn't. There can be no excuse for the crime of which I'm guilty. I intend to offer no defense. Furthermore, I shall order Mr. Scott to take immediate command of this vessel. Don't you think you better check with me first? Captain. <laughs> Jim! Yeah, I mean, I, I provided the rest of the scene there for context, but really, the uh, the line that I wanted there was a single syllable. I just, uh, mm-hmm. Jim! There's actually a bit I wanted, to re- I wanted to include as my quote, and unfortunately it's more of a visual thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can't see Spock's face, it really doesn't work. There's there's a bit where Kirk's goading him into, come on, tell me what's going on, tell me what's going on. It's about biology. Biology? What do you mean biology? And he does this heavy sigh, and he rolls his eyes, which is just fucking priceless. Vulcan biology. If if the show were visual, that would totally be my quote. I I really loved uh, when they are, uh, it's Kirk, Spock, and Bones on the turbo lift, and uh, Spock's inviting them. Kirk down to the planet, you know, to be his like his second, yeah, or like his best man or whatever. And then he sort of t- turns to Bones and goes, "And uh, Doctor, you would of course be invited too." And Bones goes, "I would be honored, sir." And it's just great. Yeah, I, I pointed that out in my um, in my summary because uh, really, and I wasn't kidding. Sometimes I just I really get happy, like yeah, you know, the whole friendship thing. It's just like aw, and yeah, you know, I'm a big fucking softy. What can you do? But yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a great moment. The the, the yeah. friendship of those three really is the core of this show, and it's mm-hmm. nice when there's something really bad going on with one of them to to reinforce that. It's it's nice. Moment. Yeah, right. I mean that's why it's so nice to get Bones into the opening credits now. It's like the show itself is acknowledging that now. Well, it took them a while. I mean, we watched the progression through season one, and he gradually yeah. came more to the foreground. And they realized, oh, he's a great foil for Spock, but he's also a great like these three work together well. It's not just one or yeah. two of them. It's it's all three of them. All right, uh, on to uh, in the future. In the future. In the future. In the future. Uh, for for mine for a mock time. In the future, medical science will develop chemicals that briefly simulate death, but result in a perfectly healthy patient after a short time. Yes, legitimate doctors will apparently find a reason to fake killing their patients. Don't try to understand this with your primitive twenty first century brain. <laughs> All right. And uh, in the future, in the future, in the future women future. won't enter Starfleet, so they have something to do until they get married and pregnant. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, we've been putting off answering your mail for weeks and weeks, and we're really sorry about yeah. that. It's we're not really in the flow of that. Uh, we we had the guests, and uh, on the other show, mostly what we do is answer mail, and it's just it's it doesn't occur to me. Like, oh yeah, we got mail. No, we answered all the mail. Yeah. But, uh, what do you mean there's more mail? No, we have we have quite a few pieces of mail here, and, and I do apologize. It was not a deliberate omission at all. Uh, mm-hmm. I will say we can't do this every week, but no. what we will try to uh, do it every few weeks, like when we have enough uh, that we feel, you know, it yeah. warrants it. So if you don't hear us answer, don't panic. We'll get to it. Yeah. All right. That said, um, our first letter comes from uh, Deke Winsome, 
uh, one of our regular writers over at Sarcastic Voyage. And he writes, uh, just a few thoughts on one of my favorite Star Trek episodes. I mean, I don't watch Star Trek, that's for nerds. Anyway, Space Seed. Not only do we not remember Khan conquering most of the world in the 90s and his subsequent escape into space via, hi via hibernation chamber ship, let's look at some other chronological issues. First, Khan appears to be in his mid-30s to late 40s in the episode, which means he must have been about, what, 39 when he went in on his eugenics rampage in the 1990s? That means he must have been conceived and born in the early 60s or possibly in the late 50s. Star Trek writers were apparently aware of human genome experiments going on in the 50s. Khan is clearly a product of 1950s or 60s genetic ma manipulation technology. There are a lot of explanations for this, cosmic wormhole, time displacement, temporal disturbance, but they always reliable spatial anomaly. Personally, I just think the Enterprise's computer is full of shit when it comes to Earth's history. See in the next Starbase, D. <laughs> he makes a good point. Um, when you when you really try yep. to like backtrack it and like, yeah, that's that's probably correct. Um, mm -hmm. One thing, and it, and he didn't specifically make this error here, but uh, some people do. This actually happens with uh, Brave New World. Also, eugenics is not genetics. Eugenics is selective breeding. There's there's nothing yeah. to do with tampering with genes or anything. It's just it's like you would breed a dog. It's like you take the mm. most, you know, the the most uh, uh, suitable traits that you want, and and you breed them, and you make better babies. Uh, yes, and that takes generations. Where, <laughs> yeah, it's where poodles and atomic supermen come from. Yes, the uh, the great poodle wars of the of the late twentieth uh, century. <laughs> we all remember that. Um, let's see. Uh, but, but ultimately, I think we both, uh, uh, always fall back on the standard. It's just a show you should really care about. Yes. Although my, my general explanation for just about everything is, you know what? There was World War Three. It destroyed most of all the records. Um, that's, that's why sometimes things are wrong. I like, just like the idea of Khan growing up in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> growing up watching Leave it to Beaver and Gilligan's Island. Yeah, and... that, that, that really abuses me for some reason. <laughs> Maybe Star Trek. <laughs> yep. Uh, Someday right. I would like to be on this show. <laughs> I'd better start freezing myself. <laughs> Next one comes... I grow fatigued. Next one comes from our pal Thom, uh, and he writes, Hey gang, long time listener, first time writer to the show. Great show as always, love the topic, go Niners. Uh, uh, all right. Actually, that was the name of the Deep Space Nine uh, uh, baseball team, so that's okay. Oh yes. Uh, you asked for this, and I might not be able. To, I might not be the first to write in, but I think I just might be. John Kolakos, who play. Oh, he's talking about the Klingons, like who played who and who came back, mm -hmm. and uh, it's good information. But uh, sorry, Tom, I don't care. <laughs> uh, he's he's just correcting me on who played who and when they appeared and all that, and and uh, nah. I was wrong. And I, I do apologize, but I also don't care that much. <laughs> not not to be mean, Thom. I always appreciate your patronage, but uh, we really don't want to spend five minutes just uh Well, this guy was in this, and then he played this. And then, and then he, he went on to be in this, yeah. and then he appeared. You know, you, you all have access to the same tools we have. Go go look it up yep. on Memory Alpha. Um, incidentally, have we Number ever mentioned that? one tool that? of the post-atomic ore. Have we specifically mentioned that on this show, Memory Alpha? I don't think so, but it's where we get all our information uh, from. Basic, I mean, I have old books, and uh, yeah. occasionally, if I remember having read something, I'll go back and double check. Because, like I say, I like to, I like to kind of be accurate when I can. Obviously, I get things wrong, mm -hmm. like Tom points out, but for the most part, I try to, to mention things that uh, you know that are true. Um, yeah. But yeah, but primarily our uh, our main resource is uh, it's uh, memory-alpha.org, uh, mm -hmm. which is not an official Star Trek wiki, but it is. By far the most comprehensive one, yeah, out there. We um, always give it a look before 
the uh, before we do an episode. Yeah, uh, you more than me. You've you've well, sort of yes. fallen into the default role of being the fact checker, which is cool. I, I think that's yeah, great. odd that <laughs> yeah. we, you didn't volunteer for that. Just I, I noticed week after week you're coming with all these great facts. I'm like, ooh, cool. You're that guy. And that means I don't have to be. Yeah. Like I say, I have half-remembered things from all the books. <laughs> Who wants to look at books? Come on. Yeah. Oh, i got to get up to do that. <laughs> all right. Um, well, mine are all out in the shed, so. <laughs> uh, next one comes from our pal, Duh. And uh, he provides a link to a PSA mashed up with Star Trek scenes. Um, it's titled, Anger is Illogical. Uh, we don't typically do show notes on the show, but we will. Uh, if you give us a specific link, we'll uh, we'll throw that yes. up there for you guys. Uh, the last couple we have are voicemails or audio entries, so let's get to those. Hey, Alan, Matt, it's Adrian Bachnitsky. What's up? Um, I don't know if this question would be better suited for uh, post-atomic war or the sarcastic voyage. Um, you put it wherever you want. Um, but my question is, for your podcast, Post-Atomic Horror, do you use the uh, two intro, the, the intro and the outro songs are from uh, the planets, um, Mo, uh, Mars and Jupiter, obviously. Uh, these are also used to great effect in two episodes of Venture Brothers. Is there a correlation, or is it just your subconscious going crazy at it? Uh, uh, let me know. Uh, and I don't know where you want to put this, so there you go. Bye. All right, Adrian, uh, thanks for writing. Um, yeah. I, mostly I just feel odd, like, condescending a, a, who's someone who's already a great friend of our show. Thanks for writing, kid. Uh, maybe maybe one day. <laughs> no, really, I, I always enjoy hearing from Adrian. Um, that w- the, the, our use of music was deliberately calculated by my utter, probably unfounded terror of uh, Paramount Lawyers. Yes. I, I mean, obviously, there's great music that's come out of Star Trek over the years and uh, we could have used mm. any number of, of uh, score cues or, or themes or whatever. Uh, but I, because I have a, an antiquated way of looking at internet like law and, uh, and, and lawyers and such, I I'm terrified that we're going to get caught and, and thrown off iTunes and thrown in space jail. So uh, I use something. It happens to more podcasts than you'd think. Yeah. I mean, uh, they, they throw the, the black bag over your head and uh, you know, <laughs> Toss you in the back of a of a of a Type Two shuttlecraft, and uh, there aren't types. And that's the last anyone ever hears. Of yeah, me. exactly. Um, uh, no, it was it was deliberately like I was going back and forth. I'm like, well, uh, I use GarageBand to edit the show, and uh, GarageBand comes with uh, a lot of uh, free musical. Like I paid for the loops, so they're mine, but yeah. uh, they belong to Apple. Um, and I was like, well, I could use this. This sounds classical. This sounds classical. And Matt's like, why don't you use the planets? And me somehow miss having missed this like well what's the planets and he, he told me and he showed me i'm like well yeah apparently this was what the the uh score to star trek 6 which is actually one of my favorite star trek scores uh based on mm-hmm. um oh really i didn't know that yeah um there's oh. the, the really like the really sort of dark uh uh score stuff with like a lot of a lot of deep strings a lot of cello oh cool yeah um that's he based that heavily and you can hear bits where it's not the same mm-hmm. But it's obvious that he was he was inspired by that. Um, that guy was oh. that was his only Star Trek movie that he scored. Cliff Edelman, I think. Yeah, but, uh, I really like that score a lot. Anyway, Matt uh, Matt totally schooled me on on high culture. I had no clue, which is odd coming from <laughs> either of us. Yeah, for one of us to suddenly say, "Oh, the opera you haven't been." 
Well, let me just take off my opera glasses and school your ass, young man. <laughs> Put on my monocle. <laughs> yeah. There's my toppid hat. And Matt just said it sort of matter-of-factly, like, oh, yeah, this is, uh, there's the planets, duh. <clears throat> he wasn't a dick about it, but it was just like, well, obviously. Like, well, no more than I usually am. <laughs> and and it's, oh, yeah. And then it only, it, way later, like, we're both huge Venture Brother fans, but it took me a really mm. long time to put together that that's what, uh, 21 and 24 are singing in that one episode. But yeah, it's uh, it, it was not intentional in any event. It was uh, it was accidental. Yes. All right. The other question uh, audio that we have comes from our old pal Bob, who you heard uh, a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Here it goes. On your last episode, you stated, it's a military, there's a chain of command, you follow orders, etc. And, but on at least one occasion, Picard states that it's not a military organization. It's a peaceful exploration, blah, 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 different planets coming together in love and peace and harmony. Uh, <laughs> and I think Kirk says it at some point, too, uh, although I'm not sure exactly where. But... Uh, I mean, obviously, from the TV series, it looks like a military organization. They have, you know, big ships, there's the uniforms, there's the, uh, you know, they have the military grades and the chain of command and uh, lots of weapons, and they do tend to fight a bit. Uh, It begs the question, what exactly is Starfleet? It's a really good question, Bob. Um, I'm not sure there's a definitive answer. If there is, I don't know it. Matt, do you... uh... No, um... I mean, it's it, it's definitely a sort of military, and I think in New Star Trek they describe it as what was it a peacekeeping armada? Yeah, I, and actually, I think um, in six they, that was meant to be like when they made peace with the Klingons. That's what Star Trek mm-hmm. six, like the last of the movies with the entire original crew before they moved to Next Generation. The whole point was they were transitioning Starfleet from what it was in Kirk's time to Picard's time. They said, "Are we mothballing Starfleet?" Um, no, our, our peacekeeping and uh, exploration armadas will still be there. But uh, yeah, so I mean, they they deliberately said in Kirk's time it was more military, and by Picard's time yeah. it was less. Like they they made a conscious effort to to transition it once they didn't have the big scary Cold War stand-ins anymore. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is like a type of military. I mean, that's clear by the amount of wars it's had. Well, yeah, look in Deep Space Nine, we watched a war. It yeah. wasn't just hinted at off screen. It wasn't like, well, these are different. This is different from a normal war. This is no. It mm-hmm. was. It was like a real military war. They they took a lot of cues from old military, like you know, war movies and stuff. Yeah. There, there's a rank structure. There mm-hmm. is. Uh, you 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 can be court martialed. You can be uh, stripped of command. I mean, a lot of the trappings of the military are there. Um, mm-hmm. There's no draft. It's it's voluntary. But I mean, the modern American army is voluntary as well. So. Yep. I don't know. I mean, I've known, I, I worked around the military for a long time. I worked around the Navy for a long time. The reason I knew uh, naval officer uh, ranks is because of Star Trek. <laughs> I would know, okay, that guy's a commander. That guy's lieutenant commander. This guy is of higher rank. I need to be nicer to him. <laughs> and I knew that because Riker outranks data. <laughs> and, but I mean, really, I, I worked around the military for quite a long time, and they are very similar in a lot of ways. I mean, mm-hmm. I would say that they are, even though... Yeah, I mean, it's like the military, if the military also did exploration and, you know, uh, scientific experiments. And diplomacy. Yeah, and diplomacy. There's a lot of, I mean, especially in Picard's time, there's a lot of 
negotiating treaties and so forth. I think, and and again, this is another one of those sort of I'm retconning, you know, give me my no prize, mm-hmm. Mr. Lee, but because um, <laughs> I don't think they explicitly said this. But I think whenever they said, oh, we're not a military, I think that was part of, like, that was a that was a diplomatic lie. Yeah. That was, oh, no, no, we're not big, scary guys with guns. We have guns to defend ourselves, but we're your yeah. friends. Like, I think that's it, part of being, you know. We're not military in the way you're thinking of a military. No, we're good guys. I mean, we say that sometimes. Yeah. Um, like, I remember some Clinton-era uh, police actions, in, you know, done by the American military, which... Oh, not wars. No, not at all. Mm. We're we're peacekeeping. You know, there's, there's a lot of words thrown around to make people feel more comfortable. <laughs> That's how. And of it course, goes. we all remember the giant mission accomplished banner behind Kirk after they signed the Kitamar Accords. <laughs> Very nice. Now, there's a, and and a, mil, a retired military guy I worked with for a long time pointed out that uh, America hasn't been in a war since World War II. What are you talking about, dude? Of course we have. Yeah. Nope. We haven't declared, like, Congress has to declare that it's a war. It's one of those nitpicky things. It's one of those, like, uh, well, you, you don't call it a war because it's a conflict or it's a, you know, whatever. It's a police action or it's a, you know, officially. Uh-huh. And I might it might have been Vietnam, but I'm pretty sure it was World War II. We haven't fought in a war because we haven't declared actual, you know, war in, in a really long time. So... If you want to be weaselly and use the wrong words for things, that's uh, that's how you get around it. And I, Starfleet has lawyers. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it does. So uh, they're often picked from the crew, but uh... yeah, or sometimes they're they're you know working around uh, piles of books. Yep. But uh, you know, they, as long as there are lawyers, there will be ways to weasel out of calling things what they are. So <laughs> that's my stance. It's definitely what a the beautiful military. future we have to look forward to. Although Q does say that we kill all the lawyers in. Um, during the post-atomic horror. So we should probably get started on that then. <laughs> all right. That's that's all for us this week. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, great to be back. Yeah. We're really looking forward to this season, guys. Yeah. So much good stuff coming up. And uh, tell your friends because uh, yeah. we, we, we got a nice healthy listenership out there, but we can always use a couple more. So we want we're... more. Yes. All right. That's all for we this week. We can never be sated. <laughs> all right. Take care. See you guys. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is published weekly and is available via iTunes or on the web at postatomichorror.com. This program is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, and all original material contained herein is their intellectual property unless otherwise noted. All clips and references from Star Trek and related media are used without permission from CBS, Viacom, and or Paramount Pictures. Fair use is assumed for the purposes of review and parody, and the aforementioned co-producers do not receive any form of profit for this effort. Listener feedback can be sent to podcast at postatomichorror.com. An on-air response is guaranteed.